0: there and welcome once again to the Heads and Tails Cricket Podcast. It's finally here. After all the buzz, fanfare and controversy, the 2023 ODI World Cup is finally underway. And while controversies around bad facilities, unsold tickets, empty stands, poor outfields and one-sided games abound, it's just finally great to have some cricket happening. Chops, have you been following the early exchanges in the World Cup? I have been. And
1: uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, It's one of those things that you keep criticizing um, as it approaches the start. And then once the start begins, you somehow manage to put all of it behind you. And uh, you somehow manage to focus in on the action and uh, take great pleasure from it. I have loved the action so far. Uh, Other than one or two matches against the lower ranked sides, you haven't had uh, too many high scoring uh, matches where one team has bashed the other. Although South Africa took great exception um, to that. And how well did they do so? But other than that, it's been a very competitive World Cup. I think the pitches have been fine. Uh, They've not helped uh, either the batters or the bowlers uh, inordinately.
0: And uh, hopefully, the trend will continue in the future games as well. Yeah, it would have been nice to have uh, slightly closer finishes. But that said, while the margins of victory have not been close. Some of the games have been fairly tightly contested. I'd say Pakistan were given an almighty scare by Netherlands before they managed to win that game. India were made to sweat quite a bit by Australia, losing three top-order wickets for Ducks. I I don't recall that happening in a one-day game. Uh, And a team going on to win from that position in the past. So that was quite special as well. And uh, I love the way Sri Lanka came out and uh, counter-punched after South Africa put on that massive, massive score at the Kotla. But uh, all the games eventually ending up uh, with one-sided results. And we'll talk about that as we go in. Uh, yep. But other than that, uh, it's been nice to see some very varied conditions. Uh, the pitches, yep. especially uh, Kotla and Chepok, the two big centers, uh, turning up pitches very, very different in character and producing some fairly interesting one-day cricket. So, I'd say on the field, leaving aside the Dharamshala outfield, which has been... Once again, cause for a lot of controversy, the on-field action has broadly been good in this World Cup. And and I hope that, you know, it would go up a further level as we go into the second week of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And even if you talk about the
1: off-field action, I think some of the pictures that have come out on social media about, uh, you know, washrooms and availability of food and water. um, And just, uh, you know, decent uh, arrangements for the crowds have been absolutely uh, amazing as an Indian fan who has probably suffered at the hands of uh, the apathy of the administrators for uh, quite some time. Yes, there have been a few misses as well. Uh, but um, yeah, I think overall things are looking up as of now, and hopefully, you know, the trend can continue. The Dharamshala outfield has has truly disappointed us, and um, for uh, for a World Cup venue um, where the captains have to say that you know they are unsure about diving and it's going to be the same for both teams and they're not going to make excuses out of it, etc. Quite shameful and uh, something that has been known since um, the India-Australia test was taken out of uh, that venue and uh, brought to Indore. So yeah, I just hope that that outfield doesn't uh, end someone's World Cup or even someone's career for that matter.
0: Yeah, that's one of my wishes as well. And I also hope uh, the ticket sales for these games would uh, you know, uh, would sort of start catching pace with when people actually want to buy tickets because it's strange to see tickets going up on sale and BCCI sending out notifications on the mornings of matches because it really is too late to plan uh, your day around cricket if uh, your tickets are going to be available on the morning of the match or so sometimes even after the match has begun these notifications <laughs> have been coming out from the official website uh, that sells these tickets so that's very strange to see. Even in the India-Australia match um, you know the. Uh, Chennai crowd is a fairly faithful
1: crowd, especially for India matches. Uh, I think people mentioned several times how even bilateral ODIs uh, are, you know, properly sold out there. And to see tons and tons of empty seats was quite disappointing. Can't believe that that is because the fans just didn't want to turn up. I do think, um, you know, the sham that the
0: ticketing uh, scene has been definitely had a role to play there. Yeah, I think there's no. There's no uncertainty over why some of these seats in big games are empty. Tickets have not gone on sale. Plain and simple, and it looks like uh, either there was an allocation of tickets that's gone outside of the sales window to clubs, but I think uh, the board also is slowly waking up to the fact that uh, you know people who get these freebies aren't really valuing these tickets. So uh, I think they're seeing these empty stands and then trying to get you know ticket sales started, and then it's too late. Uh, yep. It's it's you know you mentioned it's nice to see you know good facilities at some of the grounds i think kotla and chepauk uh, especially fans who have been to these two grounds have uh, have been have had only positive things to say about the facilities at these grounds the which is good but the problem with bcci and indian cricket experience is that you set expectations so low that even <laughs> when you get what is actually considered bare minimum at uh, you know yeah. world class venues around the world you get it as a big big win but we'll take that win because uh, it's we we definitely need more wins when it comes to watching cricket in India. What are your thoughts, though, on the opening exchanges? Uh, happy with how India showed up against Australia. It's a team that they've generally struggled to beat at World Cups. They've only beaten them, what, uh, two times? Uh, and, uh, and both of them in very recent years, 2011 and 2019. Otherwise... They've generally been losing to Australia in World Cups frequently. Uh, so, managing to get that uh, opening game away, a, a big win for India. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, I think the spinners really, really came to the party. Um, wonderful to see um, Jadeja and Kuldeep especially getting their lines and lengths right. Uh, and and uh, to be honest, they didn't still look at their best Um, And so with time, they're only going to improve even further as they get more and more overs under their belt. I think uh, complete all-round performance from the bowling unit. Uh, Bumra was also quite good in the initial exchanges. And then the batting obviously faltered big time. Um, And I think Rohit Sharma, soon after he became the Indian captain, had said that he wanted the middle order to be prepared for such situations. Well, the middle order did show up uh, quite confidently yesterday. Um, I think uh, Virat Kohli actually started the resurgence uh, in the chase and then uh, Kale Rahul just took it to another level. The turning point in the chase for me was how Kale Rahul really took down Adam Zampa, who was the only frontline recognized spinner for Australia, never uh, let him uh, get settled at all. And then after that, it was more or less a cakewalk for the
0: Indians. Um, Great win and uh, they'll take great confidence from it. Rahul actually has racked up some brilliant numbers at uh, number yeah. 4 and uh, also at number 5, which have emerged as the toughest positions to bat at in one-day cricket in the last few years. Teams around the world have struggled. And uh, where I don't have Rahul stats uh, in front of me right now, he has a fairly good average in strike rate, way, way ahead of his peers. And he's just been continuing that, right? He did well against Australia in the three-match series earlier in the year as well. And... Uh, Just can't put a foot wrong right now, Kail Rahul. And uh, really hope that he can continue this form, both behind the stumps and in front. Took a very good catch. Meanwhile, New Zealand have completed two wins and are sitting at the top of the table. But still very early days to uh, read too much into these results. Uh, Sri Lanka will be unhappy about having lost a big game against uh, one of the bigger teams, South Africa. And uh, England will also be smarting from their defeat against New Zealand in the opener. But long way to go. uh, Long tournament. And uh, let's settle in. For a lot of good one-day cricketing action.
1: Once again, it's time for our time machine. From the first match for India and Australia in the 2023 ODI Cricket World Cup at Chennai, we go back to the first match for India and Australia at the ODI Cricket World Cup at Madras in 1987 yes that famous match after the even more famous tight test mm-hmm. where again it was super super close and the fans at
0: chennai had an absolute ball nitin what were you doing in 1987 i was a two year old boy too young to be watching cricket uh, and uh, yeah I, I was two world cups away from even starting to watch cricket so <laughs> i only caught up with the 1987 world cup uh, through you know several editions of the sports star and some very, very grainy Durdashan quality footage, which is uh, thankfully still available and is not completely decayed into nothingness. Uh, this tournament, uh, you know, was still... It, it went to the host broadcaster and uh, in India. It was, of course, hosted in India. The first World Cup that was hosted in the subcontinent. Um, and this was before the days of professional broadcasts coming out of uh, the subcontinent. So it was the host broadcaster, doordarshan who had the rights to beam this World Cup out and I believe lots of the games in this World Cup were not even broadcast in Australia and Australia was the country that eventually went on to win this World Cup. Uh, I think people in Australia saw the final but not most of the rest of this wonderful campaign from the Australian uh, team but uh, an important World Cup soon after India won the 1983 edition that's when uh, you know talks of the next World Cup even coming out of England into you know a different market emanated for the first time. Because the first three World Cups had all been held in England before this one. So a big move for cricket and a move that was obviously opposed by the anglo-centric center of the game. It's funny how, you know, teams from the past keep repeating. Um, and uh, this is one of those examples, right? The Back then, the anglo-centric uh, sphere, the center of the game, used to control how the game was run. Of course, the sphere of influence has changed now. It is controlled largely by India. But you see that a lot of the arguments and a lot of the conversations around power in the game are quite similar. It's just that the uh, nature of the beast is different. You mentioned a little while back that uh, the 2023 World Cup has started off with five very boring opening games, right? With very one-sided opening games, I should say, rather than boring. If you just go back to the 1987 World Cup and look at the scorecards of the first five games in that tournament, Pakistan defeats Sri Lanka by 15 runs in the opening match in Hyderabad. This match, Australia versus India, was the second game. Australia winning by one run. West Indies played England on the same day. England won by two wickets. The next day, New Zealand versus Zimbabwe. New Zealand wins by three runs. And <laughs> then Pakistan versus England. Pakistan win by 18 runs. So, the first five games are all humdingers. Right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite crazy because I don't Recall any other World Cup having that kind of a start. But this tournament, again, ends with a bunch of very close finishes, including the final, where Australia wins by seven runs. But again, uh, you know, echoes from the past uh, reverberating into the future. India v. Australia, opening game of the World Cup in Chennai. This was Chennai's first ever one-day game, by the way. Um, So, plenty uh, plenty of fond memories for lots of people who must have been there, uh, you know, the knowledgeable Chennai crowd that would have shown up. At a very, very different looking Chepok Stadium. Very different concrete jungle type uh, construction that uh, that Ground used to have back then. Um, and what a game it was. What, a, what an opening game. The defending champions, India, expecting to do well at home. Uh, ran the Australians mighty close and would have actually expected to win this game. But ended up losing by one run.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of uh, stuff that happened in the build-up as well. Uh, the Australians were obviously not doing well. And this was, uh, you know, the tournament win was when their uh, resurgence started really. Uh, but the man who was uh, mainly responsible for it or the two men who were mainly responsible for it were uh, the former Australian uh, uh, captain Bob Simpson and their uh, skipper at that time, Alan Bodder. Uh, these two guys knew that uh, you know the world cup win could really be uh, shot in the arm for uh, for the young team that they had and so they decided to bring out the australian squad 9 days uh, before the tournament actually began it seems like a um, you know very short time now but for that period it it was uh, quite a bit and they made madras as their base camp after uh, fond memories of the tight test of course because they knew that the heat and the humidity and the conditions there were among the toughest in india and if they could master those conditions they could you know uh, go on to do well in the world cup not in the least due to their uh, fitness which would have gotten strengthened at uh, you know the kind of camp that they had uh, at that venue so they practiced a lot um, at uh, the nets in madras but they had several problems too dean jones uh, recalls how the nets weren't of uh, you know world class quality And so, um, one of those days when they came and they were, uh, you know, uh, batting and bowling and whatever, and they took a little bit of a break to uh, recharge themselves. And when they went back to the pitches, they couldn't start because there were two cows sitting on the (laughs) pitches. Uh... So, I mean, England uh, criticizing the outfield uh, uh, at Dharamshala can take a bit of solace from what the Australians went through in 1987. Uh, and it was a, a bad year for India uh, when it came to water availability. Uh, the drought situation was particularly bad. Uh, Mike Coward, the great uh, Australian author, writes how uh, there was a lot of controversy and letters to editor being shot off um, you know, by, by regular people, obviously not cricket fans, every single day about how the venues of the World Cup yeah. uh, were being uh, recharged with water. Uh, which could have been of great use to the general public. And uh, Srinivas Venkatraghavan, who was uh, a former Indian spinner, was the secretary of uh, the Tamil Nadu Cricket Association. And uh, Coward says how 5,000 US dollars, which would have been a ginormous amount for India back in the day, uh, uh, was spent in one month uh, to get the required water uh, uh, for making the MH Edambaram Stadium ready.
0: Eventually, it was time for the action to begin. India winning the toss and deciding to put Australia into bat on what was expected to be a run feast. Uh, and uh, Australia opening with Boone and Marsh, another echo from the past, fascinating into the future. Jeff Marsh opening the batting for Australia in this match. Uh, his son, Mitch Marsh, of course, opening in the same city, in the same ground for Australia in another World Cup. Uh, Jeff Marsh scored 100 in 1987. Uh, Poor Mitch Marsh could not get off the muck, unfortunately, earlier this week. Sometimes (laughs) that's how it goes, uh, doesn't it? Uh, You also had Roger Binney playing in this game for India. And uh, Stuart Binney, of course, has played for India. Unfortunately, uh, hasn't played in a World Cup. I don't think he played uh, in any of the World Cups. Missed the 2015 World Cup also, I think, which was around when his career was underway. But uh, yeah, just one of those echoes from the past. But so many players in this in this game across both teams were uh, players who had featured uh, barely a year before this in that famous tight test, including yeah. Dean Jones, right? And including uh, two very, very famous protagonists of that match, Ravi Shastri and Maninder Singh, <laughs> who continue to be the spin bowlers for India, right? And uh, yeah. there's been a lot of talk in 2023 about India's spin bowling attacks. And people yeah. were questioning whether Akshar Patel, ravindra Jadeja and Kuldeep Yadav nice. should be the main spinners in the squad because all, all three of them bowl left arm, right? Even though uh, this guy Kuldeep bowls uh, rest, left arm wrist spin, they are at the end of the day all left arm spinners. But in 1987 and uh, in 1986 also nobody seemed to have a problem. With <laughs> India's main spinners being two armers, Ravi Shastri and Maninder Singh. And they both play very important roles in the uh, in the chaotic finish to this match, much <laughs> like they did in the chaotic finish to the test match that was tied a year ago. And Ravi uh, Shastri okay. is the first one to get the breakthrough for India
1: as uh, he bowls what uh, seems like an armball in the grainy video footage that uh, Rob Moody has bestowed upon us with all his kindness. And <laughs> it thuds into... Uh, uh, David Boone's front pad and uh, the umpire raises his finger. And it, I mean, even with the greeny video, it looks plumb, right? I mean, you yes. you don't have a problem with that decision at all. But for some reason, Boone was very, very pissed off. He has a little bit of a go at Shastri, who isn't one to hold back and he gives it back. And I think then while departing from the crease, he has a go at uh, Maninder Singh and Kapil Dev as well. Uh, Not for good reason at all. Probably pissed off because he missed his 50 by one run uh, after having scored a century in the tight test at the same venue, of course. Then you have a fantastic partnership between uh, Dean Jones and uh, Jeff Marsh. Uh, Dean Jones had obviously learned his lesson and he was going for the bigots right away, even though Jeff Marsh was content with ones and twos uh, at the other end. And a couple of big shots later, uh, you discover a bit of a controversy that's unfortunately not there in the Rob Moody video, uh, but it's a little bit of a contentious decision with uh, that famous umpire Dickie Bird um, you know, being the man in the center of the controversy. Nitin, uh, what exactly happened?
0: Like we said... History just kept repeating itself in this game, right? And the three men at the center of, uh, you know, that fine finish in the test match that ended in a tie were, of course, Dean Jones, Maninder Singh and Ravi Shastri. Dean Jones, of course, was not quite involved in the very finish of that test match, but he played a huge role uh, with his double century and nearly dying on the pitch with dehydration during that test match. As it transpires, in this game as well, uh, Dean Jones kept stepping out to the spinners and uh, trying to hit hit them straight over the top. One of the times he stepped out to Maninder Singh, he was looking to hit him over mid-off for a six. Ravi Shastri was the fielder at long off uh, and Ravi Shastri is quite tall, so with a a leap and a jump, he could have probably caught the ball. As he was trying to, uh, the ball evades his grasp and it lands behind him. And this is where the contention begins because Ravi Shastri signals immediately to Dickie Bird who asked him that it was a 4 and not a 6. But everybody in the Australian camp, including Alan Crompton, who was the manager of the Australian team, uh, was very certain that the ball hadn't just gone over the ropes but had carried at least a full metre over the ropes. And uh, in fact, people even said that they were very disappointed that someone like Ravi Shastri would claim that this was a boundary. But uh, Ravi Shastri's teammate Kiran More who is the wicket keeper for India of course miles away from the action really but uh, Kiran More says i was very sure that it was a four and not a six as it transpired yeah. uh, dicky bird signals four they go on with the game but in the mid innings uh, in the mid game break uh, there is uh, a furious discussion between the officials and uh, and you know the captains and the important players on both sides and kapil dev finally was gracious enough to agree that you know this could be signaled a six and not a four and two runs get added to the Australian total. It probably was a six. Uh, going by whatever evidence we have, it's uh, we don't have footage per se, but it does look like it was a six, and uh, no camera really caught it. And eventually, it was signaled a six. So the funny thing about this incident for
1: me is that you know different sources have very very different accounts, and Dean Jones himself says multiple things at multiple platforms. There is an article he has written for The Age, where he says that Bob Simpson. And uh, Alan Crompton were the guys who went into the umpire's room first. And then they went to Mohammed Hanif, the great Pakistani batter, who was not the match referee. He was the match <laughs> adjudicator. That was the designation back then. And then on Twitter, one day, he perhaps woke up on the wrong side of the bed and said that he was the one who went to the dressing room, uh, to the umpire's room and got the decision changed. And again, Kiran more has different uh, you know, uh, uh, different things to say. One At one place... I think in an interview to Nagraj uh, Golapudi on uh, CrickInfo, he says that he was not sure from where he was and he would believe Ravi Shastri. And somewhere else he goes on to say (laughs) that, yeah, yeah, it looked like a six. So uh, differing uh, anecdotes and differing incidents for the exact same thing that happened. Uh, uh, One place says that uh, Dickie Bird actually uh, uh, signaled a six first. And then when Ravi Shastri very forcefully from uh, wherever he was, uh, you know, said that the doctor has ordered for a 4 and not a 6. He changed the decision. Um, and, and David uh, Dicky Bird was quite pissed off about the whole thing. He uh, even said that in a tournament, which was, uh, by the way, played with standard 75-yard uh, perimeter. Can you imagine that? I mean, in this nice. day and age, you have uh, every single ground being measured so accurately. And then, you know, one of the first visuals this show on TV is how much the boundary is far away from the center of the pitch on every side, but that World Cup back in the day was played with standard 75-yard boundaries and it was not, uh, you know, some sort of a perimeter which was marked out very clearly. It was just yeah. chalk. So chalk Dick- <laughs> Bird even goes on to say that, uh, you know, we will pr- perhaps need to have more people in the umpiring group because you need to have boundary stewards who would just stand yeah. around the boundary and tell the main umpires whether something has gone for uh, for a six or a four. Maybe that's
0: what Hanif Mohamad should have been doing instead of adjudicating <laughs> whatever that was. <laughs> and this, of course, was 1987 before third umpire replays were available. Even the uh, action replays weren't of very high quality. I think doordarshan really didn't spend too much money on upgrading their broadcast quality for this uh, World Cup. So there you go. But thanks to Kapil Dev, two extra runs added. Uh, uh, in the mid-innings break. But one of the batsmen who got a chance to bat in this innings was Tom Moody who was making his uh, international <laughs> debut, Monday international debut for Australia. Tom Moody, uh, in fact, on debut gets a promotion. He bats uh, at number 5 ahead of uh, Steve Waugh who also was very, very early in his career. This was, of course, a very important World Cup for Steve Waugh as indeed was 1999 as well. But uh, this is where he really made his name bowling in the death and scoring very important runs lower down in this game, he, he scored an unbeaten 19 or 17 balls without a boundary. So, a lot of running there. Moody himself gets eight runs. But uh, things get a little tougher as uh, the innings progresses and the ball gets older. Uh, India resorts to spin and lots of cutters. Eventually, Australia finished with 270, which is a huge score uh, in these circumstances, even on a flat pitch. But the yep. Indians come out, uh, actually, or rather, I must say, Australia score 268 and then two runs get added post-factor <laughs> to that score. The Indians come out of bat and this is the last season of Sunil Gavaskar's one-day career. And finally, at the very last hurrah, he's figured out how to play one-day cricket. (laughs) We have a very, very different Gavaskar, not the guy who batted the entire 60 overs to score 36 not out in uh, an earlier World Cup. But this was Gavaskar who scored 37 of just 32 balls and he would outscore Krishnamachari Shrikant in their opening partnership. But un- up until late in his career, uh, Gavaskar used to play without any headgear. But yeah. in this World Cup, he had already started wearing that skull cap—a very, yeah. uh, you know, distinctive piece of Gavaskarian attire. I must say, the skull cap with the uh, top hat on top of it, and uh, and he was playing these beautiful shots to so the offside. side, very perfect, measured shots. He had started going over the top as well, like you mentioned, takes the spinners on, keeps skipping out. But uh, eventually, uh, holds out. Uh, I think uh, Taylor gets rid of him. Peter Taylor, the off-spinner with, with a big moustache, gets rid of uh, Gavaskar, And it's time then for the other debutant <laughs> in this match, Navjot Sidhu. Uh, and I didn't realize this. Navjot Sidhu makes his ODI debut in this game in 1987. He made his test debut in 1983. So he almost you know connects the 1983 yeah. generation with the the 1999 generation because he, he played all the way up to 1999. Or 98, I think, uh, for India. Fairly Wait, long Even period.
1: 2001, also, right? Uh, that
0: boring double hundred in West Indies. No, that was the 97 series. 97, yeah. yeah. 97. That was the 97 series. Yeah. I think he played his last in 98 or 99. Of course, he played against Australia in Chennai. He takes on Shane Warne and the other spinners uh, in the 98 test match. He does that here as well. Funnily, he comes out walking with a maroon helmet. So, and uh, yeah. the maroon helmet seems to imbue. Caribbean yeah. swagger into this uh, <laughs> dashing debutant. But uh, his maroon helmet also reminds me of other Indian batsmen who come out with oddly-coloured helmets, right? We just mentioned Gavaskar. <laughs> uh, there's, of course, Azrudin, who strangely would bat with a white helmet in one-day cricket, in test cricket, in every format. And then you had Nayan Hoongya, who had this dirty yellow Parrot helmet. Parrot green. Parrot green. And, and that helmet used to look different depending on the ambient uh, light <laughs> of the ground where he was playing. In Delhi, it would look yellow. And in other grounds, it would look green. Maybe it was the AQI indicator or something. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, coming back to Sidhu. He starts off his career the way he would he meant to go, right? In his very first game, I think he smashes five sixes and he keeps going after the spinners, plays some outrageously good shots. Uh, all clean hits, right? Not a yeah. single miss it when he looks to go over the top. No uh, no confusion about four or six. <laughs> Absolutely none, When. It's success, Sidhu, in business. Seventy-three or seventy-nine on debut in a World Cup, like that's as special as it gets, and nobody remembers yeah. this. Very, very good innings, and yeah, I mean,
1: some of the, some of the confidence that he shows to, you know, get down the track and and treat the off spinner like he's a piece of dirt, really. I mean, Sevag used to say that off spinners shouldn't be allowed to bowl. Uh, I mean, Sidhu really embodied that uh, emotion uh, in his first match itself, and. Um, you know you you for these old matches, sometimes you see the scoreboard first and then you go on to the highlights. And even then, like after you've seen yeah. the score, it's tough to believe that someone's doing that on debut. So yeah, fantastic innings for uh, for Navjud Singh Sidhu. And I think the uh, these three guys, Gavaskar, Srikanth, and Sidhu, really set up the chase for india and and not even set it up. I think they make it very, very simple. Uh, last yeah. fifteen overs, they need just seventy runs. 37th over there, just 207 for three. The main pacer, McDermott, has been taken on for 31 runs of the first four overs and it should have been an absolute cakewalk from there. Uh, but then uh, funny things yeah. happen on a cricket field.
0: Yeah, in the first innings also, run scoring got difficult towards the fag end of the innings. Same thing seems to happen here. After Sidhu gets out, it still seems a fairly easy case for India with uh, Veng Sarkar and Mohammad Azruddin batting in the middle. They need just 43 runs of uh, 9.2 overs with 7 wickets in hand. And so much so that you actually see that uh, Azruddin is playing loose shots because it, it almost looks like India is trying to finish the game off you know, in a blaze of glory rather than trying to guts it out towards the end. And that's how Azruddin gets out. He, he swings across the line and loses his stumps, And slowly the demons start creeping in at, yeah. uh, at this stage of the innings.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the Australians, you know, all the practice that they had done really comes to the fore. They are fit as a fiddle, uh, running around and picking up their catches and affecting direct hits so, so well. McDermott, uh, who has been uh, taken apart by the opening pair and then a little bit by uh, Sidhu as well, he comes back and he has effectively figured out that uh, the other two medium pacers that Australia had, Steve Waugh and uh, Simon O'Donnell they have controlled the uh, Indian run rate in the middle overs with some cutters and slower balls and all of that. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to do the same thing and uh, ends up picking a flurry of wickets uh, to not only um, you know control the run rate even more, but also put the Indians in a
0: very, very precarious positions. Rengsarkar uh, crumbles under the pressure. Kapil Dev usually was the person who would finish off these chases, but he chips one to mid-wicket. Ravi Shastri was out caught in bold, like you said. And then, uh, as the pressure starts building, two runouts. Alan Border gets rid of Manoj Prabhakar, fielding in the covers, throws down the stumps at the bowler's end. Dean Jones runs out, Roger Binney. The pressure is getting to everybody. Alan Border did not look like a good fielder, but that's because he was a great fielder. One of the best fielders in in the game. It it reminded me a lot of Viv Richards, like someone who just... Seemed to know where to be, how to position himself, how to yeah. throw down the stumps. Um, you know, getting to a ball as fast as possible without taking too much time. Michael Bevan was another fielder who reminded me of you know these particular skills. But Australia took a lot of pride in their fielding, right? And this was this was around the time cricket cricketers were beginning to get used to you know fielding well and you know actually making that the twelfth man on the field. But Australia completely uh, throwing it in here and. Uh, India beginning to sink because suddenly without, from walking towards a victory, suddenly they're down to their last pair. Kiran More is batting with Maninder Singh. Maninder Singh, of course, <laughs> has been in this position before uh, when it gets tight at Chepauk. Kiran More will be in this position again uh, five years later in that 92 World Cup where again India are chasing a very similar target. And again, they're losing their head towards the end of a chase that they probably should have aced. In 92, Kiran more gets away boundaries of uh, Tom Moody and keeps India in the chase. Here he gets boundaries of uh, Craig McDermott, again through the leg side to keep India in the chase. <laughs> but it's all down to Maninder Singh, who's at the other end, uh, facing the ball. And uh, India need four runs or five runs of the last over. But with one wicket in hand, it tends to get very tricky when it gets that close. Yeah, and and uh, I think the one thing that
1: I realized when I was watching the highlights of this match was that Maninder Singh was not a mug with the bat. Um, yeah. I think he could hold. You know, he he knew which end of the bat to hold, which is often not true for Indian tailenders. Yeah, he's not a he's not
0: Courtney Walsh or a, or a yeah. Venkatesh Prasad. Yeah, he's definitely exactly. Better
1: than because that, yeah. because that LBW dismissal in the tight test definitely gives you that vibe that you know <laughs> how can you how can you not put bat to ball like how difficult is it? He probably did. Guy like... <laughs> that yeah. is what Ravi Shastri will have us believe. But yeah, I mean, in this uh, last over also, um, I think there are a couple of runs he takes through the offset, which is a pretty decent shot. And then, yeah. you know, you're like, okay, he's going to do it. But then that last shot that he plays with just two runs to get. With two I mean, balls in hand.
0: It's not yet two down balls to the in last hand. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Like, why would you go for the big shot? Like, why would you go for the glory shot when you know, uh, you've know you already been hurt once? In Hindi, we have a saying Dood ka jala bhi phuk phuk kar pita, which essentially means that if you've been if your tongue has been burnt by very, very hot milk, <laughs> even if you are given buttermilk right out of the fridge, you will check the temperature twice. This is Maninder Singh. A test has been tied, which was in the bag and you're going for that stupid big shot. And this is not a great ball. I mean, Okay, yeah. Steve Waugh in this World Cup was amazing with the ball. No one knew the back of the hand uh, slower ball before uh, Steve Waugh did. He brought it out, uh, stopped runs with it, picked up wickets. But this is a normal ball. And even for a tailender, I mean, the slower it gets, the better it is perhaps. Really stupid <laughs> shot that he hits on the last ball. And once again, uh, with him at the crease, uh, India just managed to lose a match which was completely in the bag. I mean, this is snatching... Defeat from the jaws of victory. Last eight wickets lost for 62 runs in 13 odd overs. Terrible loss. And uh, I mean, somehow India managed to still reach the semi-final, As do Australia, who, you know, eventually become the champions. Yeah. But uh, such a disappointing loss, man.
0: Yeah. And uh, we mentioned how, you know, all these protagonists from various from 1992 and 1986 were again in the hot seat. We should also mention Steve Waugh, who bowled that last over was the player who dropped the catch and then secured the run-out of the very last ball of the 1992 World Cup game, which also ended in very similar fashion with India needing three runs to win of the last ball or four runs to win, three runs to tie of the last ball of the match. Javagal Srinath swings one deep into the leg side. Steve Waugh drops the catch, but holds his nerve, throws the ball back, runs out Venkatapati Raju, who was busy celebrating (laughs) when Steve Waugh (laughs) dropped that catch, bumping his fist and pissing off Steve Waugh into throwing a A fairly good throw, good enough throw to get him run out. India finishing one run short in 1992. India finishing one run short in 1987 as well. And both times, Steve Waugh was there at the very last moment to ensure that his team finished one run on top. Australia kept beating India in World Cups, right? And uh, after this, they would go to the 96 World Cup, uh, where they would again lose to Australia. Despite Tendulkar scoring a great innings, a great uh, 90. And before he got stumped of uh, Mark Waugh in the '99 World Cup, Australia absolutely demolishes India in the Super Six stage. 2003 World Cup, they defeat India twice, and let's not talk about what happened in the final. <laughs> Finally, India defeats Australia in the 2011 World Cup in the quarterfinal, and I remember going into that match how while India was were the favourites to win that World Cup, everybody said whoever wins this game, the quarterfinal is going to win the World Cup. It didn't matter which other team was going to make the semis or the finals. Uh, it was that big a game and uh, and then of course in 2019, India again managed to beat Australia but not before they lost the 2015 semi-final to Australia. So all in all, finally it's good to see, I would say after this week's result, the Australia bugbear is finally off India's back because this team finally is capable of keeping their pool and defeating Australia in a pressure game in the World Cup. <laughs> So
1: that's been us uh, on Heads and Tails in a World Cup special episode where we took inspiration from an Indian win uh, at Chennai in the 2023 ODI World Cup against Australia to go back to the 1987 World Cup, which happened in India, uh, where Australia actually ended up winning against India by one run in a very, very close match. We have many, many more World Cup special episodes coming up where we'll go back in history to recount some special moments from this amazing tournament. Please keep listening to us. Please tell more of your friends about us. And till then, we will come back for another episode.
0: Bye. Keep watching the World Cup and keep listening to Heads and Tails. Let's have fun. Bye-bye. You were listening to Heads
1: and Tails, hosted by Abhishek Chopra and Nitin Sundar. Produced by Audiomatic. Producers for Audiomatic, Rajesh Tahil and Avdood Khanulkar. Assistant Producer, Pia Kash.